You're listening to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. My name's Jack. Today I'm joined by Jake and Aiden to go over what was another uh, another exciting week of Premier League action. Not as many goals this week, but it was still exciting nonetheless. Uh, how are you guys doing? Hi, Jack. I'm doing good. Um, I'm just on reading week this week, but I've been busier than when I've been in school, so it's not much of a break. Uh, other than that, just attending some conferences for school and just uh, playing some FIFA as usual. Uh, Aiden, what are you up to? Not too much. Just grinding out the schoolwork and watch the UFC on the weekend. Not too many games reviewed, I'll be completely honest. But hopefully we can get back into the swing of things because next weekend or next week is my reading week. Woo-hoo. Hopefully it's not as busy as yours. How are you, Jack? Yeah, I'm good. I I was able to catch almost all of the games this weekend. Didn't see West Brom Brighton, uh, but I did see the first half of Burnley Spurs. Didn't see the second half. I saw all the other action, which is good because like lately I've just been working a lot. So I haven't been able to see all the games and really until the whole COVID situation is completely clear my schedule, I am going to miss games, unfortunately, but yeah, I was, I was happy to have the weekend off at least and able to watch all of the games. So that was good. Uh, I do want to start off today. We'll discuss the games that went on, but there is breaking news within the last like hour or so. And this is from, uh, there were reports, but I was just waiting for Fabrizio Romano to confirm this. Uh, but it is official as in the, as like within the last hour, uh, it's been announced that Bartomeu, Joseph Bartomeu has resigned from Barcelona after six years. And Jake, do you have any initial thoughts to this? Yeah. Um, well, we know what kind of, what kind of president he was or CEO, whatever he was, he, his term was, um, uh, especially after him and uh, Sandra Roselle were involved in the Neymar signing. And that's how he became the, the president in the first place. But we know that was all corrupt and yeah, we don't want to go further with that, but um, yeah. So after he resigned, he released a statement where he said, and I'm just going to be quoting him now. He said, I can announce some extraordinary news. Yesterday we accepted a proposal to participate in a future European super league which would guarantee the future financial sustainability of the club. And we have accepted the future club world cup format. So that's it. Now the future club world cup format is kind of, kind of stupid in the first place anyway, but we won't focus on that part of it. We'll focus probably on the, on the European super league. I think that's a a really, really bad idea. Uh, We've talked about before how that's not something that we want to see at all. Uh, It would just be bad for literally every other league, except for the actual European super league. And to be honest, it wouldn't be fun. Like things that make the the Champions League final and the Champions League in general special <clears throat> is the fact that you get finals where you have, you know, Manchester United playing Bayern Munich or Real Madrid and Juventus or Barcelona and whoever, whichever other big team uh, we haven't named. And it's the fact that they happen once a year and, and it's for the big trophy that makes it such a big occasion. Now, if you have league games like this, uh, between them every single week it'll be extremely extremely boring and it'll of course it'll be fun to see you know united playing liverpool and city and barcelona and real madrid every single week but it'll also lose a lot of 
of luster, I guess. And yeah, it's it's not something that that many people are excited by. Just I don't understand. He he's I don't know why he signed it and then resigned the day after. I don't understand if there were like different factors in there or if he planned it like that. But I don't really understand the the motive behind it. He might just be, for lack of a better term, screwing over the next the next Barcelona president who who really won't have a choice now because the thing has been officially signed by the Barcelona president before he resigned. And the fact that even in that statement, just the first thing that I, that I kind of gathered of it, which was the part where he said it would guarantee the financial sustainability of the club. So we've seen Barcelona have spent a ton of money lately. I think they spent over a billion pounds in the last five years on, you know, Griezmann, 120 million, Coutinho, 125 million, Usman Dembele, 105 million, rising to 150. It's just crazy amounts of money. So honestly, the, I don't know if this is true or not, but the, the thing that I could gather, Barcelona probably aren't in a good financial position. It seems obvious because we hear about all the time how they don't have the finances to sign some players or they're they're just in trouble. They have a huge wage bill. And yeah, just just in general, I don't really think it's a, it's a good thing at all. And I'm, I'm really disappointed. I was just hoping it was speculation that clubs wouldn't really act on it. But it seems it seems now that Barcelona are one of the clubs that are in. And yeah, that's really all I could share about it. I really really upset that it's actually going to happen and it's not it's not going to be something that I welcome at all what do you guys think i'm just thinking more on the than the super league obviously that's not good news but i'm just thinking more on the bartomeu side of things that i think barcelona fans in general might be happy that this happened i just saw that from the initial reaction from him getting fired they didn't like how he ran the club and a lot of people were speculating I guess, knowing that he was the one making a lot of decisions in terms of recruitment and stuff like that, or being the the head man in terms of that side of it. So I think Barcelona fans will be happy. Obviously there was speculation before like that, that he wasn't doing a good job. And and he's been on the, when the Messi rumors were out, there was a lot of like kind of doubt over his future. Why do you think that it happened at this time? I genuinely so Barca have elections every five years and there was a new a new elections coming up in 20 either either I think it's 2021 in April or something like that April or May uh, and, and he was gonna get voted out no matter what but if there's there's like a I don't really know the rules like by heart but I know that there's a certain clause uh, that if a president like if the club members of Barcelona want a president out they could call for a vote uh, at any time and from what I'm hearing that is that they were going to call a vote in the next couple of days. Um, so at that point, as soon as that comes out, he knows that he's out anyway. Um, so I guess he, he made sure he went out with a bang, I guess is a way to say it, but um, I'm just, I just think he knew that his days were numbered and, and he decided to, to resign and save a little face instead of getting voted out by, by the other club members. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I was just wondering because like, it seemed like he kind of survived all the messy stuff for then. So that makes sense though. What do you think, Jack? I don't really have too many more thoughts on it. Yeah. I don't have a ton to say, obviously the, with the super league from that side of things, it's obviously for the future. I don't know like how far off that is. It's, it's, but it seems to like, it's going to happen pretty soon. Um, for Barcelona fans and Barcelona's perspective, I think, Aiden, you've touched on it before when we first discussed uh, Messi wanting to leave Barcelona. And I think it kind of proves your point about Messi really having a huge influence over the entire 
uh, entire club, not just on the field, but the political side of Barcelona. And we all know that Messi has come out many times and to kind of reject what Barcelona's board and their, their ownership are doing and kind of calling against decisions that they've made and just proves once again, how influential he is. And you never know with a new board and, Obviously, we. this is just our initial reaction to this news. And I'm sure even by the time this comes out, a lot of what we're saying could be completely out of date. But uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see for more information. But, you know, you never know. Maybe with a new board, Messi might be willing to stay at Barcelona for the foreseeable future. I would think, you know, probably the, the end of his, uh, his peak years, I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, we'll move on now to the, the first game of the Premier League weekend, which, in my opinion, this was the most exciting game. Aston Villa, who had uh, a perfect record up until they played Leeds on Friday. Leeds winning 3-0 through a Patrick Bamford hat trick in this game. And all I can say is that as little, I haven't seen much of Leeds this season because I've been working but this is really the the first performance where I was like, wow, this is a, this team like Aston Villa. They were just absolutely dominated by Bielsa ball in this one. If you want to call it that, like leads were absolutely incredible. Uh, Jake, what do you think? Uh, yeah. So like you said, uh, second place Aston Villa going up against Leeds. Leeds are up to third now, obviously, after they won that game. So that's, or they were up. Sorry, I could be wrong. Yeah, they're down in six. At the time, they were third, I believe, after beating Aston Villa. So a, a very good start to the new season for them, for a newly promoted club. <clears throat> in the game, we kind of, I kind of thought Aston Villa were a little bit better than Leeds near the beginning. Uh, obviously, there were, I believe there were two VAR shouts maybe for penalties. I know there was at least one. I think it was Helder Costa who was committing the the foul on Grealish. There might have been another one. I can't really remember. Uh, and then we saw Jack Grealish have a nice run where he went past three, four, five players and then uh, just had his shot saved at the end of it. So if he, if he would have put that away, it would have given Villa a huge amount of momentum. Uh, but like you said, Bielsa ball, which is not a term I, I really like to use, but... It, it was really effective. It's really nice to watch. Yeah. Sorry, sorry for that. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, can't please everyone. But yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Very effective from Leeds. Very nice to watch, dude. It's not not boring at all. Like like I, I think we all we all said at the beginning. You know, there's going to be goals when Leeds are playing. For which team, you're not too sure, but you're guaranteed goals anyway. And uh, but yeah, Bamford getting a hat trick. Not not a, a player I thought highly of before the season. Like like everyone has heard. Um, I'm not gonna say I completely flipped just based on the beginning of the season. But he is playing very well. I can't deny it. Uh, and I'm not gonna try to. To be fair, and he scored he scored some nice goals in this game. He scored uh, different types of goals too, which is which is uh, important. But the, his first goal was kind of off a mistake by Emiliano Martinez. He, he just spilled the shot right to him, and Bamford just had to put it in. But he was in the right position to do it. Uh, so I'll give him credit for that. His second goal was very nice. It was it was a weird one. It was like a, a finesse goal, but with power too. I don't really know how to describe it, but it, it was a really, really nice finish. Uh, just clipping the underside of the bar too, which makes – honestly, it makes everything look aesthetically way better, every goal. Um and yeah, his third goal too is a nice curled shot. He, he looked like a <laughs> like if you were just looking at that game, Bamford looked like the best striker in England. I mean, he he, he played very well. And yeah, Leeds will be happy with it. Bielsa's faith in him has been uh, repaid. 
for sure. Could have usually dropped him for Rodrigo at the beginning of the season, the, the more expensive signing. Um, but he's, he's found ways to play them both together in a 4-1-4-1 formation. And, and yeah, they've done really well. Uh, Leeds are good to watch, even though as United fans, we don't historically like Leeds. But, yeah, they're playing very well at the moment. And, yeah, they look very good. They're, they're this season Sheffield United at this point. Um, Aiden, what would you see in this game? Yeah, I think it was like a combination of what you and Jack described. I thought that even though Leeds were so dominant throughout the whole match and, and created a lot of chances and shots, I thought that, I mean, it's only one chance, but I thought if Grealish would have taken his chance there right before Leeds got their first goal on that amazing run, I mean, what the expected like goals would have been when he started that move. But when he got to that position, I was surely expecting him to slot it in and that probably would have changed the game. But Credit to Leeds. I mean, they're they're a very good team, and I think we've all been waiting for for a little bit of a drop off, and that's what I'm just waiting to see in the in the Christmas period with a big uh, run of fixtures if the squad can hold up. And yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. Did they switch up the formation a little bit without Phillips uh, in the lineup? They played a, a Struick in center midfield to begin the game, but he got booked, so he also stuck to his guns and kind of made a hard decision and pulled him off early, which I thought summarizes him as a manager. He's not afraid of pulling any punches. He just does whatever's best for the team. And yeah, I just thought it was a very good performance. You already highlighted Bamford and, and everything that he did. And I'm still firmly don't really think, even though he might score a good goal, I firmly believe he's not the best technical player. He gets the job done. And we've seen players, strikers like that, not the most technical, getting jobs done, Calvert-Lewin and other ones. So as long as they're effective, that's the most important thing. You have other more technical players like Martial that don't even get shots on target to start the season. So it's all about the effectiveness and their role in the system. So credit to Leeds. I just can't wait to watch another one of their games soon because they're very exciting. What do you think, Jack? Yep, I, I agree with with every, everything you guys have just said. Leeds, really fun to watch. I also, Aiden, I'm waiting for them to drop off. Imagine if they don't. This would be the season where, you know, like one of the the lower teams or promoted team makes a real run to make it towards the top end of the table, but we'll have to wait and see. I I still think that they'll probably drop off. And, you know, I think Calvin Phillips might be the only one that could be wrong here. Um, I think he might be the only one to actually be injured for lead so far this season where, whereas it seems like every other team, the injuries are starting to creep up on them. And uh, also for Aston Villa, they didn't have a great game. Um, I thought that it was largely down to the fact that Leeds dominated the game and it just, it just wasn't Villa's day, but uh, like, like we've said to start the season, Villa are going to have a really good season. It just wasn't their day and Leeds were very good. We'll move on now to the, the next game of the weekend, West Ham uh, drawing one, one against Manchester city. And uh, I'll just touch on both really quickly. Um, Cause we'll obviously discuss Man City. Um, and you guys are, are surely going to be happy that they drop points. But I saw a lot of people from, from West Ham's 3-3 draw against Spurs. I saw a lot of people saying West Ham were very good in that game. And like, like credible people saying West Ham, like they deserved a result. They're really good in that game. They, they worked hard and blah, blah, blah. And I, it's, I, I disagree with that. Still, I thought, I thought Spurs, like, like people, I saw some people saying like Spurs didn't dominate that game. And I, I swear, maybe I was watching a different game, but like I thought that they just bottled it at the end. But I didn't think West Ham were 
that impressive in their three, three draw, but in this one against Manchester city, they, in my opinion, they were definitely deserved a draw. They looked dangerous every time countering uh, on the counter going forward against man city, who obviously dominated the ball and Manchester city cannot get the job done again. But uh, this week, I just wanted to point out, I want to give West Ham some praise because obviously Moyes has made some changes and played the players that are willing to put in the work and um, starting to, to, to collect points in a run of fixtures that when you look at it, you wouldn't expect West Ham to get anything from. So wanted to praise them. Manchester City, not looking good. They just don't have, like, they just don't look as good. They're not creating the same number of chances. They don't look sharp. And just want to see what you guys think. What did you think of the game, Jake? Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting one. Uh, you said you saw the whole game, right, Jack? Did you think uh, Suchek had a handball for Antonio's goal or no? Like, do you think it should have been ruled out? Uh, I th- I thought that was that it was fine. Like, I thought okay. West Ham were like well deserving of, of the goal. Yeah. All right. So I thought it, I thought it it hit his hand and it should it his arm. It should have been disallowed technically, but I'm glad it didn't because obviously yeah, I hate City. But yeah, like you said, Jack, West Ham are on a crazy run of form here. Wins against Leicester Wolves and draws with uh, Spurs and City. I mean. I was. I know. I said the, the exact same thing last week, but I want to make sure they get credit. Uh, I thought they were gonna gonna enter November with zero points, and and really struggle this season. And they, they could still, of course, it's only six seven games in, but they're playing very well right now. Uh, Antonio, again, I'm not a huge fan of him. Like Bamford, I'm, I don't think he's that great, but he's he's playing out of his skin right now, and he's really important for West Ham. Uh, I'm not denying he's he's definitely a useful player, just just not my favorite. But anyway. He scored a great goal here, kind of like a basically an overhead kick while he was being held by the city defender. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Ruben Diaz. So obviously a really hard skill to do just to hit a hit an overhead kick in general, but especially being held by a defender. And uh, maybe Ederson could have saved it, but I'd rather look at look at the the skill involved for the goal and say it was a really really nice goal. And yeah, for City's goal, Phil Foden he did really well, just collecting the pass and then spinning and, and shooting in one motion and putting in the bottom corner. So, yeah, it was a nice goal, 1-1, good result for West Ham, of course, but I don't really know what's going on with City here. We're seeing them lose and draw a lot of games that they ordinarily wouldn't. I know for United, I've, I've been banging the drum about uh, the preseason excuse, and City had the same the same issues, United. So it might be that, but I just don't know if the, if the City players are not listening anymore to Guardiola or if they're just tired or... It could be just a combination of factors. I, th- I believe they, they're two wins, one draw, two wins, two draws, one loss in the league this season. Not where they want to be, under a 50% win rate, which obviously a club like City, like I said already, it's only five games in, so I could be jumping the gun. But a club like City, like you'd expect them to have probably four wins from these games. So I, I don't know what's going on over there, but uh, I'm going to enjoy it while, I, while it lasts. Um, very good day all around for West Ham, Aiden. What did you think about this one? Uh, not too much. I'm just going to be very brief here before I pass it back to Jack and just say West Ham, obviously, this is like their hardest run of four or fixtures for the whole season. And just to be picking up any points, let alone smashing some teams like previously, I'm just looking forward to them playing against Liverpool this upcoming week. Hopefully they can take some points off of them as well. Just really impressed with the character of their squad, obviously, after they had a rough start to the season now coming into the hardest run what they've been able to do and with city. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of questions and, and maybe we'll, well, 
we're going to be coming into some further games and coming into the Christmas period soon. So we'll, we'll see if they're, they can turn it around quickly or if they'll be just kind of falling by the wayside. I, I mean, for Jack and I, it's a bit concerning because we picked them to win the title. So I do want to see a little bit of a bounce back, but like you say, I'm also enjoying their, their downturn in form. And personally, I don't really know what to put it down to. Uh, maybe they are just not listening to the manager anymore. Or maybe, maybe Arteta was the genius behind Guardiola, but it doesn't seem like that with his form at Arsenal. So we'll see. Take it away, Jack. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think it has a lot to do at this point. Cause you look at the players that Manchester city have. And uh, I think that, you know, Guardiola, he doesn't stay and we know he is a great manager and we know he needs certain types of players to play his style of football, but he doesn't stay around very long for a reason. And it almost looks like, and we'll have to see through this season, I think this season might be the last one for Pep, but it really seems like the players are almost just really not, he's not getting to the players anymore. Um, and they just seem to lack ideas. They don't seem to be organized and attack and nothing looks sharp. So I, he'll, he'll have to change something because City, they don't look dangerous right now. Obviously, they've got fantastic players, but he, he needs to take some criticism because with their current form, they should be a lot higher up. I know, like you said, no preseason, but uh, with, with the talent that is available, I think that he needs to be doing better. But um, with everything he's done, I think that you can obviously give him the time to, to fix some stuff. And they do have their injury problems with... Uh, I think Aguero and Gabriel Jesus are both hurt. So they're essentially playing without a striker, but with the talent available, no, nobody's going to feel any sympathy for them. So yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how they fix it. We'll have to see. I don't really know how you go about doing that right now, but um, I'm, I'm more happy that they, they drop points. And like I said, a West Ham picking up a point during this hard run of fixtures move on. Now. Uh, I don't really have much to say about this one. Crystal Palace to Fulham one. Will uh, Fulham getting a man sent off? Will Zaha in this game? I don't really have much to say. Zaha just absolutely tore apart Fulham. Fulham had the ball for most of the game. Didn't do anything with it. Adamola Lookman looked really good. Uh, but as soon as Fulham lost the ball, it looked like they were going to concede. Like, a defense looked that unorganized. And if they're going to concede as soon as they lose the ball. Um, and that's why I think all three of us think they're going down. And they just didn't. Like Tom Karen, he scored an amazing goal. And like I think it was in the 90th minute or something. So the game was over. But just no goal threat throughout the entire game. And uh yeah, they just they're just lacking everything. Look Adam Lookman looked like the only dangerous player for them and just don't really have much to say. Doesn't set, doesn't have a huge effect on the table at this point. Yeah. But uh, good win for Crystal Palace. Uh so we'll move on to highly anticipated game. I was excited for this one. Man United against Chelsea. I'll let you guys speak about this one from a neutrals perspective. I almost fell asleep. It was such a boring game. Like nothing like there. I can't even remember. There's barely anything I remember about this game. Uh, except, except uh, Mendy making a bunch of saves and Maguire just absolutely, <laughs> just absolutely tearing his man down in the box, which probably should have been a penalty. But uh, what did you guys think of the game? Yeah, like you said, Jack, if you weren't a fan of one of these teams, it probably was a really boring game, quite scrappy. And I think Chelsea will be a bit more happy or a bit happier rather to take the one point away from this match because they're away from home and they don't often keep too many clean sheets. Uh, it was it, It's kind of like odd that it was almost a nil-nil with how 
horrible these def- both these teams' defenses can be at times, especially to start off this season. So it was surprising. Um, another surprise was kind of the lineup from United. I don't know if he was just rewarding like good performances against PSG and Newcastle, but starting Fred and McTominay uh, was a bit surprising to me. I, I thought that one of Van de Beek or, or Pogba would definitely have started in midfield. And then again, Dan, Dan James playing. I wasn't really, well, I'm still not too sure about that being a starter. For me, he's a, more of an impact sub with his pace. When a team's playing a high line, it's going to keep possession. I don't really think in like a 50-50 game like this was in terms of the possession, basically, or when a team is using a low block that he's a very effective player whatsoever. I mean, I do, like you guys know, I don't really criticize Solskjaer too much for a lot of the circumstances at the club and, and whatnot. But in this game, I was a bit uh, surprised by the, uh, the the lineup for sure. And then other than that, just speaking on a few individual performances, uh, I thought Lindelof was, was pretty good. He was probably, I think he was the man of the match for United. And from Chelsea's point of view, Thiago Silva was very good. Not too much to speak about. Rashford could have scored when he went through um, when Chelsea gave the ball away and he shot it low, kind of a similar position, maybe a bit closer to what he did in Paris, but he just couldn't find the bottom corner. Probably should have done. Another one at the nearer the, the end of the game where he just curled on and Mandy made a brilliant save. I was just, I guess I was really only entertained because I you could kind of tell with how scrappy it was that one goal was going to decide the game. Uh, there wasn't too much going on. And yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how, how Chelsea, like they will be happy, but their front three wasn't really causing, I know United didn't cause too many problems. At least they could pull out some saves. Like Chelsea's uh, front three weren't really knitting anything together or creating at all and must be getting a little bit worrying at this time. Uh, I was worried coming into the game of Chelsea's front three, but as it progressed, there was really nothing doing there. And then, like you said, Maguire uh, should have had a penalty against him. Clearly just ripped down Aspilicueta in the box. So he got away with one there. I don't know what the VAR checked in three seconds and nothing came of it. So that's kind of interesting. VAR is crap, like I always say. Yeah. And uh, before that, though, I'm not defending McGuire, but he was getting absolutely, he wasn't mentioned, but he was getting absolutely ragdolled in the area by Reese James. Uh, It wasn't really similar because the ball didn't go anything like anywhere near McGuire, but it was, it was kind of similar in the fact that they were both just absolutely all over their man trying to stop them. And he didn't allow, Aspilicueta to get up should have been a penalty and yeah I don't know I know that it's it's hard to say but like Chelsea really like clutching for straws if they think they just deserve to, to, to win the game off the basis of that but it should have been a penalty what do you think Jake yeah just exactly what you said obviously no one obviously none of us wanted a nil-nil draw but United going into the game having conceded nine goals in their last two home games three against Palace and six against Spurs compared with Oh, sorry, in addition to Chelsea's, I know they haven't performed that well yet, but Werner and Havertz uh, both scoring last weekend, so they could be coming in form. Obviously, conceding no goals is a big plus. Chelsea could say the same. They're shocking defensively, and United, are, their strength is in their attack if everyone's fit and firing. So both, I'm, I'm sure both teams won't be too upset over a nil-nil. And yeah, like you said, Edward Mendy making a couple of big saves. Rashford, like you said, had that one shot, which was reminiscent of a, of a shot in Paris he just kept it a bit too far inside this time and in the 90th minute the curler was very nice and, and a great save you saw Solskjaer starting to celebrate on the on the sideline before it went in which was it, w- it was funny like it, it was nice to see him get excited of course he will because he's a United legend and the manager but still it was just nice to see that even though it didn't go in and yeah it, it just kind of got me thinking like 
I know United didn't win this one. They drew, but I was wondering kind of why they got so many points from big games. Like even just this season, a win against PSG and a draw, a draw against Chelsea. Last season, you know, three wins against City, uh, a draw against Liverpool, wins against Spurs and Arsenal. I could keep going, but it was just inter- interesting because I saw a couple. I don't. I can't remember if they were pundits or if they were writers from the Athletic. But a couple of them uh, suggested that maybe United's players aren't motivated for the smaller games and that they're only motivated for the big games in the Champions League, um, which I think is is not true at all. I mean, United haven't played. It's sad for a club like United, but they haven't played Champions League that much in recent years. So I don't see how it's possible that the players could only be motivated for those games. They need to, to start qualifying for it more often in the first place. But I also thought that maybe it's just the players who are playing in their proper positions uh, with with their strengths and not being asked to do things that they can't, such as, you know, United with Maguire and Lindelof, neither of them are especially quick uh, playing a high line. But when you're playing in either in the back three or just against a big club, you, you tend to, to hang back to give them less space and less chances. Uh, so, and Juan Bissaka not getting asked to get forward too much. Same with Luke Shaw. Even though I think that Juan Bissaka is better offensively than than you hear. Like, from what you hear, this guy's absolute crap. But he had a decent amount of assists last season and chances created for a fullback. He just he just looks unorthodox, so I think that plays into it. Um, but, yeah, I think that just having them stay back a bit and not having to go forward every single uh, passage of play definitely helps. And, yeah, perhaps just their mentality or the other, maybe the other clubs now, they, they recognize that United – can can really hurt them in big games and they're a bit more uh reluctant maybe to to pour them in forward just in case united catch them on the break so i just thought that that was an interesting thing to come out of this game united's record against the big teams of course uh big games coming up against arsenal and Istanbul bashak shahir and then the big one against everton so looking forward to those ones and yeah not the worst result in the world but it's okay united off to to a iffy start to the season but it's just it's steadily getting better so Looking forward to it. Jack, what did you think about this one? Yeah, it's not the worst result for either team. It was just as neutral. Very boring to watch, but like it it was two, two teams that really didn't want to lose this one. But it is it is a point for both. I think that you know, I think both both managers are gonna be happy with a point. But but like you said, Aiden, like Chelsea, yeah, I at least United, I can say United got some shots off in that game. And and Mendy, if Kappa's in net, United win that game probably like four nothing, even four nil. Even though like the shots, they weren't super super dangerous with Kappa. That that's a four nil game. I don't even like off the top of my head. I don't remember Chelsea doing anything. Which again, I know, and I say this every single week now. I know all the signings are new, and and Lampard needs to bed them in. But like, oh, like with so much talent, you gotta do something, and it, it better happen fairly soon because I'm, I'm just getting a little frustrated with with the talent at his disposal and not really performing uh or seeing any sort of patterns of play that sort of thing but we'll we'll have to wait and see uh the next game of the weekend don't have much to say about this i do have a question for you guys though liverpool beating uh they came from behind against sheffield united to win 2-1 obviously liverpool they, they started out a little shaky they went behind to a sanderberg penalty that was converted sanderberg's an incredible player by the way i don't know how much you guys have seen of him but he's very very good i would take him at everton in a second uh but they came from behind to win 2-1 and i was just wondering so obviously sheffield united haven't had the best start to the season 
but do you actually do you guys think that they're in trouble this season uh, honestly at this point in the season i don't know if you could say anyone's really in trouble i know what we've said about fulham and west brom and how how bad they look defensively and and offensively to be honest uh, but it's tough to say because at this point historically teams with one point after six games they don't end up staying up very often so they're definitely in a tricky position uh, obviously we saw last season they finished in 10th place so I don't know if this is a team that that can go from 10th place to relegation um, they definitely have to switch something up. Obviously, we know Wilder. He's a really, really good manager. I think he finished runner-up for manager of the year voting. Uh, so he hasn't become a bad manager over the the three-week break. Obviously, they have to turn it around somehow. I don't know how they do it, but they are they are a good team. I don't think that they're in, in too much trouble. Obviously, I don't think that they'll finish as high up on the table as they did last season. But seriously, if this team goes on the run of even three wins in a row, then they're out of the relegation zone. They're 14th place around there. So... I think it's too early right now to say that they're in trouble. We'll have to revisit later and see how they're doing, but they definitely need to switch something. I think they've only scored one goal this season as well. Uh, so it shows it shows that the problems that they're having, but they're definitely good enough to to, to turn it around at, at this early stage of the season. Uh, Aiden, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think that they will be good, but I think they've scored more than one because they scored against Liverpool and they scored against Fulham. I'm not bad. sure. Two, exactly. two games. No, yeah, no worries. Um, I'm not sure how many exactly, but yeah, goals are definitely going to be my issue for them. But honestly, I think that they will stay up because of the fact that they're just going to be able to pick off some some worse, like smaller teams. And those games are going to be really crucial for them when they come up against the likes of Burnley and West Brom and, and uh, Fulham, obviously. So I think they are going to stay up because there's enough other teams that are going to be worse than them over the course of the season. And that's what it's really all about. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, I agree with you guys. Like, I they still they've been creating chances and stuff, just haven't been able to score. But as long as the chances keep coming, I think they're they're going to be fine. Also, like Chris Wilder, there's no way that that guy lets like any team get relegated. I like, I swear that like, what a guy! If you've seen his interviews and stuff, he's such a good manager. There's no way that. Sheffield United get relegated like some people have been saying oh I think they're gonna go down because they can't do anything it's like it, like you guys said it's still very very early on though they'll, they'll be fine they won't do as well as they did last season but I think all three of us predicted that just because I don't know they just went on a run last season now teams are more prepared to play them but they're definitely going to be fine I just want to see what you guys thought because some people are saying they're in trouble and I truly do not understand that think it's a little bit too early to say that uh we'll move on now uh southampton against everton southampton winning two nil in a game where everton have finally lost a game this season I'll, I'll i'll give my analysis of the game see what you guys think as well unfortunately everton have finally lost i do want to first i want to say southampton i thought played really well on the day and definitely deserved the victory um, and like we said, after a slow start to the season, they look like they're they're hitting some form now and complete, completely dominated Everton on the weekend, if I'm being perfectly honest. For Everton's perspective, I think you guys will agree with me here. Obviously, they've got Seamus Coleman out to injury, uh, who starts at right back for them. And then the backup, John Joe Kenny, was also injured for this game. And like we've said before, this season with that starting 11 looks really strong for Everton, but it's the strength and depth that's probably going to hinder them. And that definitely showed today. Uh, it's also a little unfortunate because like 
having both of your senior right backs injured uh, probably won't happen too often this season. So unfortunately we had to put uh, Ben Godfrey out there for his first start for Everton coming in from uh, uh, a big signing from Norwich, but he is a center back and it is very clear that he is a center back. And it's not his fault in this game with Godfrey playing right back. Uh, you could tell he was not comfortable. Again, it's not his fault. If you're not, if he's, if he's inexperienced, even as a center back, which he is, cause he's still young, but to play right back, you, you could tell he wasn't comfortable. It didn't take very long for Southampton to realize that he was uncomfortable. And with Hamez playing on that right hand side, obviously doesn't offer literally anything defensively and he hasn't so far this season, which, which is, which is fine because we've got uh, the runners in front of him. But unfortunately Richarlison missed this game. And that was one of my biggest takeaways from this game is how annoyed I was with Richarlison getting that stupid red card last game against Liverpool, because instead of uh, Richarlison who stretches the play on the wings and when James cuts in, to play that ball over the top, you've got runners, but instead of Richarlison, it was a Wobie who is like, like I've said many times, he's not a winger. He's an attacking midfielder who was just put out on left wing. And ho- hopefully, hopefully he gets a chance in attacking mid at some point, but doesn't look like he's going to, and he was terrible. So we're missing Richarlison and you see a, a front three of a who won't get in behind Hamez who won't get in behind and, it just left Calvert-Lewin completely isolated. And for James being the the star player of the team and obviously the best player, um, having Godfrey at right back did not help because you could see Godfrey was not comfortable with pushing up and, and overlapping like Coleman or even Kenny, even though I don't really rate him. Naturally, he will be more comfortable uh, pushing up and overlapping and creating that space for James. And you didn't see that this game, so... Thomas barely had any options and gave the ball away. And then as soon as Southampton realized that Ben Godfrey was uncomfortable, unfortunately, they just targeted that side. The whole game absolutely destroyed Everton. Like like I said, strength and depth isn't there at the moment, but at least it was a game for, for Carlo to see, you know, when we don't have uh, some key personnel available, we're going to have to be a little bit more creative because we've been relying on that Hamas, uh, Hamas to Dean to that Hamas switch to Dean or Richarlison and then across for Calvert-Lewin so far. So we're going to have to come up with creative solutions for that. But again, it just, it wasn't a, a match that was, that was, uh, that was really made for Everton this one with the, with the injuries and, and suspensions. But, but I thought Southampton were really good. I would like to see Anthony Gordon start next game instead of Alex Awobi. Because as we saw when Gordon came on, at least he was direct and willing to to run down the line. And and if he if um if he starts next game, I'm sure Hamas will play the ball over to him if Hamas is even fit. Because we saw that he was injured towards the end of the game. But yeah, it wasn't wasn't a good performance and kind of limited by the the injuries and they they just don't really have the depth. I know it was Southampton, but I thought that the the style that we're tr- trying to play and the uh, how we create chances really did not benefit us in this game. And, uh, and two more things I'll say. I thought that if you're looking uh, for Hamas to be that creative option, I would have liked to see him, you know, it, it maybe go to the left-hand side and then put Awobi or Anthony Gordon on the right to just offer 
they don't have to offer anything offensively, but just to help Godfrey out defensively. And then from that left-hand side, at least you've got Hamas and you've got Luca Dean able to create something offensively, but there was an imbalance in the team with Hamas getting no support from Godfrey, but then also not offering anything defensively. And the last thing I'll say is a little unfortunate that I, I don't I, I want to see what you guys think about that Luca Dean red card. In my opinion, I can see both arguments to it, but uh, I'm just happy because it was announced today. It was supposed to be a three-match ban, uh, but they've appealed it, and, and Luca Dean's only going to miss the next match. But uh, what what are what are your thoughts on on the game and and the Luca Dean decision, guys? Uh, yeah, so it was a good good first ten minutes from Everton. I think uh, Sigurdsson hit the bar with a with a nice shot, nice tipping. That's what I know. It's it really resulted into nothing, but that's what Gilfie Sigurdsson can offer a team shooting from distance and. Some, some creative play. Obviously, he's not the most creative, number 10, but to be honest, he's only one of those, so we can't fault him for that. Uh, obviously, playing in the in the central midfield position, which is probably not his strength, as we've mentioned a bunch of times by now. Uh, like Jack mentioned about James and Iwobi, this, it really showed Calvert-Lewin. It's, obviously, it's not his fault. Calvert-Lewin really relies on his service. He's not the kind of guy who's going to create create chances for himself so he needs some service he needs the crosses into his head because he like jack has mentioned he's a he's a great head of the ball i don't know if there's anyone better than Premier League, to be honest maybe andy carroll but we won't have a debate on that um and yeah danny ings he played a good game <clears throat> he had uh two assists on on ward prowess's goal and he had a, a great dinked cross with his left foot to uh che adams he just got or ings just got around i think it was godfrey it was down his side anyway and crossed it over, and, and Adams was there to put it away. Like Jack mentioned, not Ben Godfrey's fault at all to be played out of position. It might seem like a little change just going from right center back to right back, but it's a huge difference. Uh, he has to position his body differently and, and occupy different spaces, and it's just very difficult for him, so I don't blame him at all. Um, a positive for Everton, though, Pickford did not have a howler this game. That's a, a good sign. Um, Jack is celebrating right now. The, the, the best part of the game for them by far. And yeah, so Lucas Dean, like you mentioned, Jack, with the red card, uh, not out versus United anymore. I was getting excited to see Richarlison and Dean out for the game against United, but it's only going to be Richarlison at this point. But um, but yeah, I think just to give my opinion, I know no one asked for it, so I don't know if anyone's going to care, but I do think it was a fair red card. Obviously, you could see Dean didn't mean it at all. He put his hands up before it happened to show he was trying to avoid him. But just when, when you step on someone's Achilles like that and just kind of get, get his foot caught under yours uh, while he's running at speed, it, it is dangerous. It's accidental completely, but I can, I can definitely understand the red card. It, it could obviously it could cause some real damage to the player. Um, and I didn't really have much else on the game about that. Just like you mentioned, Jack Southampton playing really well, taking advantage of of Everton's weaknesses and their deficiencies and, and punishing them. Did you have anything to say, Jack, or about the red card? Yeah, I, like I, I agree with you. I, I think that it's probably fair. Like, obviously, we know there was no like malicious intent in that. And even like X, X player, like every X player was saying that's that's never a red card. Dean actually, he retweeted Gary Lineker's thing uh saying like that's never a red card he tweeted it like as soon as he got back to the dressing room which is which is funny but uh just two two things i thought that you know i just first of all i didn't understand why he actually um i think it was uh 
Walker Peters who got away from him. And it, it's not like he was in on goal. I don't understand what Dean was actually trying to do. He was running after him, but he was never going to get the ball. So I thought that he would just drop off. Yeah, just stay away um, from him. It, it, you know, Everton played. Yeah, but you just have to be smart and not put yourself in those positions to get sent off. Uh, I think it would have been harsh if he was out three games for that. Out for one game, I can I can see it. If he was out for three, I'd probably be a little bit more annoyed. Um, also, the fact, I know I don't want to talk about this game anymore, but Andy Robertson did literally the exact same thing last week on Allen, and he did it on purpose, and it just didn't get any attention for some reason. Um, he did the exact same thing, just kicked out at him. But uh, if, it, if it's one game, because we did see, like when you see the replay of it, it looks really bad, even though uh, there was no malicious intent. But Aiden, what did you think of the game? And what did you think of the red card? Yeah, the game was pretty straightforward. Southampton were the better team. They deserved to get the points. You guys already touched on basically all the points, except I just want to give a shout out to Stuart Armstrong. Every time this guy plays, I, I think he plays very well and he creative player. And I think he has a lot of intelligence and he, he could be a little bit underrated. I know he is Scottish, but I do like watching him. And as for the red card, yeah, I, I think it was all fair all around. You could see why the ref only having one look at it. He doesn't really know what his intentions are. He can't see into his mind. He just sees what he sees. And I think he kind of slipped a little bit and ended up uh, kind of barging into him and, and landing on him a bit harder than he would have intended to. Maybe he was just what he was thinking is, oh, I'll hack him down here and, and just get a yellow card or something with frustration. And I think he slipped and, and kind of just landed on him harder. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm glad that he's not suspended for three games. That would have been a bit too much. And that's all I really have to add is hopefully Everton can can improve and we'll see because when you're on such a run like that, you feel like you're on top of the world and, and we'll see how the players respond to their first loss from the season. And I would like to see perhaps – I know they don't have the most options in terms of people that give them different stuff, but maybe they could try later on in the season with Hamas at number 10 with some more pace on the wings something like that to vary it up. And yeah, that's all I really have to add. Yeah. I think they're, they're going to have to come up with more creative solutions. And that's obviously uh, it is a position like right back's going to have to be addressed um, soon. I think that's probably the next, next one. We need another winger, but home uh, is in a 10 would be perfect. We just can't do it at the moment or Ancelotti's kind of hesitant to do it, but at least for next game with, uh, with Dean being suspended against Newcastle, we will see, Niels Nkunku, who has been – he came in from Marseille, U23s, and this guy's got – out of the three games he's played so far in the Cup, he's got man of the match twice from left back, and he also was very, very solid against West Ham. So he's definitely going to be able to do a job against Newcastle. And um, as much as I say Newcastle is not a good team under Steve Bruce, they just, they just outperform like any stats or anything. So that's what makes me think it could be – an interesting uh, game next week, but I am slightly concerned because they're just, they are that team in the league, Newcastle oh, to, I was, to cause an upset. But I was forgot. I was going to ask you, can like that guy, he can't fill in at right back. Like he's strictly left back or. In so apparently, I, so apparently from what I've seen from the Everton, like scouts, I follow on Twitter who know a lot more about the game than me. I've seen a lot more of him than me. Apparently he is like completely comfortable on both feet. 
So I would love to see him at right back because the guy, he actually like, obviously he's not at this level, but just from a like athletic perspective and, and build and kind of technique, the way he dribbles and passes and stuff, he actually reminds me a lot of like Alfonso Davies, a lot of pace, a lot of power and very, very tricky. Like one of his assists in the cup game was like, did a couple step overs, froze the guy kind of similar to, uh, Davies against Semedo when they played Barcelona and he did that little shuffle. It was basically like the same thing, except he actually nutmegged the defender. And then for his assist, did like a just back heel chop back to Moise Keane for the goal. It was very impressive. So going forward, it, I would love to see it. I know like that's what some of the um, some of those Everton scouts who know a lot, they like some of them were calling for it, saying like if you could get him in as a right back, because he is one of those guys who just absolutely bombs forward back and forth. You'll see if you if you watch the game against Newcastle and he starts, hopefully, hopefully it's not Fabian Delph at left back. That wouldn't uh that would suck. But uh if he if he does play, you'll see he just bombs up and down, like has so much energy and very looks very promising, especially for like two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, which is nothing in today's market so it'll be exciting to see him against newcastle uh we'll we'll speak about newcastle now they played against wolves uh that game finished in a one one draw not not a lot to say like again newcastle uh, like i'm sorry they're just so boring to watch and steve bruce like they've got some exciting players like we've said before they've got some exciting players steve bruce not the manager to to you know create exciting styles of play it's pretty much pass the ball to alan st maximin and let him run through five people and if he creates some space play through callum wilson is basically what it looks like when you watch them but yeah they they drew against wolves who were in uh were in control for this match but what do you guys think of this one yeah it was not a, a great start or sorry excuse me it was not a great game. Uh, very little chances from from both teams. Uh, it was a, a nice lineup from Newcastle. It was very attacking. Uh, the commentators kind of mentioned that this was due to the amount of injuries that they had, but it was a, it was a nice attacking lineup. They had St. Maximus starting. They had Wilson, Almiron, Ryan Frazier, uh, Jacob Murphy was a winger. I believe he played at right wing back, um, but still, it was still still attacking. So it was. It was kind of exciting just to see what they could do with that, but it wasn't it wasn't a great game, like like Jack said. Newcastle only had two shots on target. Wolves had three, so there was not much in terms of output. Uh, Wolves dominated the ball though, sixty four percent possession, as well as seven hundred passes compared to Newcastle's four hundred. So Wolves had the better end of it, but yeah, it really the action was saved for the for the eightieth minute onwards. We had Raúl Jiménez scoring. A great half volley from outside the box. Darlow got a hand to it. I think he, when he dove for it, he kind of just misjudged it. He missed the ball, it looked like, by about half his glove, which is probably the reason it went in. But it was still a, a good strike from outside the box. You love seeing those kind of of ha- decently long-range strikes, just half volleys just going in. It's just, it just looks really satisfying. And um, Jacob Murphy scoring on a direct free kick in the 89th, just bending it around the wall instead of from a very sharp angle and instead of crossing it in, just bent, using the wall and, and uh, surprising Rui Patricio, who again, he probably should have saved it as well, uh, but he didn't. It went in. It was, it was good invention and innovation. Like it, those are the kind of things you love to see just like moments of unpredictability and, and, and surprise. So it was, I like that goal also. So for a boring game, two good goals, not, not too bad. 
Um, Wolves, like I mentioned, probably deserve to win. Just, of course, they're they're a much better team than Newcastle. They've got the better players. And and in this game in, in specific, they had more of the ball and more shots. But like Jack said, I, I'm a bigger fan of Brucey than Jack is. But uh, they just find a way to, gr- to grind out the results that they need over the course of the season. This is another one of those games. Um, so, yeah, Aiden, what did you think about this one? Yeah, it was was very, very boring. And I'm just curious. I don't know how, like, Traore is struggling to get into the Wolves lineup as an attacker. He doesn't seem to be playing too many minutes uh, this season. Correct me if I'm wrong. And, yeah, I don't know. There wasn't much happening for me. Newcastle, they might have had a lot of attacking players, but I, for me, they weren't really doing much attacking. They don't have a – without John Joe Shelby, which sounds sad, they don't have a lot of players that can really conduct anything around the pitch and really keep the ball for the team and make make good passes. John Joe Shelby, he has very good technical ability. I think we've touched on it previously on this podcast. Uh, and other than that, not really much to say, just – both goalkeeping errors for me. I think both those goals could have been saved if the, the keepers were sharp, but they didn't have to face too much action over the course of the match, so I can't blame them. This was probably the most boring game for me of the weekend that I saw. Yeah, it, it was good. Like, like you said, Jake, Not I'm not a fan of Steve Bruce. I'm also just already prepared that they're going to just pull a result out of nowhere against Everton, completely undeserved, like last season's 2-2 draw at Goodison, where they, they scored twice in like the space of two minutes in a game that should have been like a, like I'm not even joking an eight, no win for Everton. They completely dominated, but uh, yeah, hopefully they don't do it. And I do agree with you. Aiden. they were both goalkeeping mistakes. I thought they both could have done better and Newcastle definitely missed Shelby just being creative. It is so sad. John Joe Shelby just running the midfield for them, but you know, he is, he is technically uh, very, very good when he, he can play very well when he wants to. Uh, even like commentators when when he spreads the play like they they mention all the time like when John Joe Shelby's on it he's a very very good player but we just don't see it often enough and unfortunately he wasn't available but yeah nothing nothing else to say I think Wolves are going to be uh, pretty disappointed with that result because they did control most of the play uh, I thought Pedence was very good in that game also move on to another this I was looking forward to this one this was the the game I was sec- looking forward to the second most after United Chelsea. Uh, it was Arsenal and Leicester City. Leicester winning this 1-0. I don't think there's a striker that scares Arsenal more than Jamie Vardy. Uh, what would you think about this game, Jake? Yeah, I think you're accurate uh, in saying that. Uh, we, we saw after this game the crazy stat to come out that Vardy's 24% of all of Vardy's Premier League goals have been against Liverpool, Arsenal, or Manchester City. So if that's not the definition of a big game player, I don't know what is. Everyone knows Jamie Vardy's story too. So it's amazing that he's been able to do this coming from non-league. I think he played his first Premier League game at the age of 27. So to have that kind of, and it's not like 24% of his goals have come against these teams and he scored like 10 goals. He's, he's at over a hundred. So that's, that's amazing. Um, and yeah, he's gonna he's gonna enjoy playing these teams. I'm I'm sure Arsenal regret that he didn't join them back in uh, 2016. As well as yeah, this game Arsenal they're they're very de- they're a very defensive team. We mentioned we know the link between Arteta, Guardiola, and um, all that, but Arsenal definitely don't play in the same way that City do. Rather, if that's out of choice or necessity, I think it's probably because of necessity, because they're not they're not great defensively uh, as, as we've mentioned many, many times on, on this uh, podcast, but yeah, they, they did hold more of the ball in this game than last year, but this might just be a, a, 
not my opinion, but I feel like Leicester, they had more purpose whenever they had the ball. Uh, you know that you know what they want to do. They want to attack and, and go and try and score goals, while Arsenal, they kind of sometimes just cycle it around uh, just to see if anything pops up for them. Not saying that that's every player's fault necessarily. It could just be the, the way the players are set up or or any kind of issue like that. But uh, yeah, overall, very happy with Leicester, Leicester's win, uh, leaving Arsenal down to 11th in the table. And Leicester challenging for the Champions League places again. Obviously, like like I've said about five times today, it's still very early on this season. But um, you could kind of see just a pattern emerging and the foundations that, that Leicester are building on anyway. Meanwhile, with Arsenal, you're not too sure. Um, but I think Thomas had a good debut. And other than that, not too much to add if I'm not forgetting anything. I, th- I think I'm good. Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not going to touch too too much on Arsenal but just Leicester to start the season they've had uh, a lot of fixtures and uh, and some tough ones and a lot of injuries too are not the players available that they'd like and again that was kind of what I saw from the beginning of the game I thought it was a weird shape that they were playing with like Barnes up front and they didn't have Soyuncu and Ndidi again for this game but they managed to pull off a result players like Fuchs playing who's not really a regular anymore at this stage of his career and uh, even Madison who hasn't had a lot of game time they managed to pull off the game Uh, again it was kind of boring I mean for both of these teams you you see a a few little bits of like good passing moves like out of trouble or, or whatever but there wasn't too much cutting edge in the whole match and I think Brendan Rodgers just cementing himself as a really good manager with another good performance here. I mean, we, we all know that he is a good manager, I think, but his teams just tend to lose their focus or drop off at a certain point of the season for whatever reason. We'll have to see if that happens again this season. And yeah, Vardy, he equaled Ryan Giggs or went above him on Premier League goals. So just cementing his legendary status in the Premier League which I think he already was a legend after his title and all the goals he scored. But yeah, it was really nice to see. And I think he was coming off an injury, right? So they weren't really sure whether he'd even be on the bench and he was. So the commentator said, Oh, we're going to see him at one point or some point during this game. And eventually we did. And he, he popped up with the winner. So that was, that was good to see. And I, I like Lester a lot. So I hope they, they do push on from this. And I, I hope that they challenge for top four because it just makes it a better league because I think they're, probably everyone's second favorite team what do you think jack yeah i I thought like first of all yeah jamie vardy to arsenal is what like divock is to everton i hate having to play against divock he absolutely terrifies me because he turns into like r9 every single time he plays against everton it's ridiculous so definitely at least he was he was on the bench for most of it, but he did pop up with the winner. Just a couple of things. Arsenal did score. They did get a disallowed goal. I think it was either David Luiz or Grant Jack with the header off the corner. That got disallowed because I think it, it must have been David Luiz because Grant Jack kind of interfered with the goalkeeper. Not sure about that one. I thought I don't really think the keeper's going to get close to that anyway because it was right in the, I think it was in the far corner. So Arsenal, they did get a disallowed goal and, but, but to be honest, like I, I'm looking at the lineups and just watching that game, Leicester did sit back, especially the first half I was watching, and Leicester just sat back. They didn't really do anything offensively, especially in the first half. And I thought Arsenal just Arsenal just needed to be a little bit more brave and actually go for it. Uh, wasn't too sure. Aubameyang was playing out on the right wing. Don't know how I feel about that. I think... You know, you've got Saka, who's very good out on the left. I think Aubameyang should be playing in 
either if he's not playing out wide, play him in the middle. He's he he's an elite striker and like don't stop wasting him out on the right hand side. <laughs> but uh, so that didn't really work out today. And I thought Arsenal they just a lot of sideways and backwards passing. I think a lot of the fans were frustrated. Uh, I thought Partey. I thought he was very good. I thought he was neat and tidy with the ball. I just don't think that Arsenal were brave enough against a Leicester team who, for most of the game, looked very comfortable. Like you said, just organized defensively and ready to hit on the counter, especially as the when, when Vardy came on, especially. But for most of the game, I, I just expected more from Arsenal, even though we know lately they've been solid defensively, but didn't really create anything uh, of note other than other than the disallowed goal. So hopefully, you know, if Arteta is to, to progress, they need to, and you know, he's still obviously a young manager. They just need to be a little bit more. I'd like to see them be a little bit more, more brave and please put Aubameyang as a striker or, or a left winger. That's, that's all I ask for, for the sake of my fantasy premier league team. But uh, yeah, good, good three points for Leicester and uh, yeah, Arsenal are going to have to bounce back from that. Uh, another game didn't see this one. There's two games we'll go through. Brighton West Brom with uh, a one-one draw. I'm gonna be honest. Just I honestly have nothing to say about the game. Good point for both teams, I guess. Probably more so for for West Brom after after a rather poor start and Brighton with a good start. One-one draw. It's a point for both of those teams. And then also for the final match of the Premier League weekend, we had. Burnley take on Tottenham and Spurs winning 1-0. Another Harry Kane to Hyunmin Sun goal. But from what I saw, I didn't watch this game, but from what I've seen and read is that Burnley were much more competitive in this game, which at this at this point, I think that, I think they may have some injury problems as well. Burnley not not looking too good at the moment. I, I think Sean Dyche will be able to uh, to still succeed and carry them up the table, but it's been a slow, s- slow start for Burnley, and uh, another good three points for Spurs. Do you guys have any any thoughts on either of those games? If you have any, the best part of the Spurs Burnley game was Mourinho's picture afterwards on Instagram. That was the most entertaining part. Burnley just in the same position as Sheffield United, as we were talking earlier, just one point after five games they've played a game less, but. The point still holds. Not really surprised. Burnley had more shots than Spurs, which is kind of surprising to have, to most people, or surprising to me anyway. But yeah, other than that, it was a, a typical Burnley game, which is not not great. Aiden, no, nothing to add. Both kind of sleepers. A lot of sleepers this weekend. I'm sorry, Jack. This is the weekend you got to see all the games because it seems yeah. like there was a lot of sad ones on. <laughs> I stole all the goals. If you saw the score of that one, they won their game 13 nil. What is that? Yeah, that was crazy. Really padding the goal difference. That uh, that Triore guy. I think he didn't he have five or something. Yeah, we won't be seeing any scores like that uh, unless United and Chelsea combine their back fours. So we won't be seeing much of that <laughs> in the Premier League. Yeah, good call. Triore five goals and uh, five goals and three assists. I think pretty pretty easy call for man of the match. Uh, kind of crazy to score thirteen in a in a top flight game against another team. But yeah, other than that, very good result for Ajax, obviously. Really helping the goal difference for, for the end of the season if they need it. Jack? Yep. There you go. Good for Ajax. Thir- 13 goals. Imagine conceding 13 goals in a game. Jeez. That would not be, be good. embarrassing. But uh, we'll move on now. Got one. Got another question this week. Uh, we, we still, I know we say it every week. We want everybody listening, send in your questions. 
you can send them in uh, on Twitter. So follow us on Twitter at OTL soccer pod, or you can send them by email at OTL soccer podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Got another one from Ganit again. So appreciate Ganit. Thank you very much for sending this to us. Uh, Ganit's question is uh, who is the best player outside the top six? I think it's Jack Grealish, but want to hear your opinion. Uh, and he thinks it's Grealish because of the impact that Grealish has on Aston Villa's performances. That is a very good question. Thank you very much, Kenny, for sending that. Uh, what do you guys think? Honestly, my choice, I, I narrowed it down to two players and Grealish was one of them. So definitely, we're definitely on the same page, but I just went for someone who we just talked about. I went with Jamie Vardy. Um, just... I don't know. He's he's basically a world-class striker. Uh, like I mentioned before, had the chance to go to Arsenal, rejected them to stay at Leicester where he was comfortable, where his family was. I think that was the reason, as well as maybe the fact that they had Champions League that season. Arsenal have, have not been playing in that competition. Sorry, I know you're an Arsenal fan, but I'm not going to not gonna rub it in too much. Uh, but yeah, Vardy, I'm just going to keep on this quickly, but Vardy's Premier League record, he's got 216 appearances. 109 goals and 29 assists. So that's well clear of one goal involvement every other game. And also considering the fact that Leicester really struggled in his first season, I'm sure you guys will remember that. I think he's, he only scored five goals in that whole season in, in 36 games. So if you, I know it's not how it works, but if you take off 36 games and five goals, it makes his, his uh, record even more impressive. Uh, as well as he's won the Golden Boot f- for last season. And I believe he finished one goal short of Harry Kane in the season where Leicester won the league. He was, again, he was the player of the season uh, in, in the season when Leicester won the league. It was, uh, I th- I believe he won the Writers' Award and Riyad Mahrez won the Players' Award or the other way around. Uh, obviously, he's won, he's won the Goal of the Month in 2017. And he's been the player of the month four times, which is more than than many players. I think I think more than Ronaldo's won it during his time at United, and all those um, all those good players. Yes, he's got a record of exactly zero point five zero goals per match, which is impressive. He's got a nice variety: thirteen with his head, sixty nine with his right foot, twenty seven with his left foot, <clears throat> and yeah, he he's. He's, yeah, he's, he's a very good all-around striker. He could contribute to his team in, in many ways. And he's – I'm not – Leicester aren't a bad team, but I think he's effectively carried them during some periods of time. I don't think that's very controversial to say. Um, and, yeah, honestly, the only problem with Marty could be his disciplinary record, but even that's not as bad as some players – as some, some people make it seem out to be. He just – He's a player who gets frustrated and you could kind of see his emotions there, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, yeah. So I think Vardy is, is the, the best player in the Premier League outside the top six. Uh, Aiden, who did you pick? Yeah, I had the same two players. I had Grealish and Vardy. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Jack. No Everton players on here. And mine is just, if we're talking with the Premier League, it's just the longevity of doing it in the Premier League that puts Vardy over uh, the player that you're going to nominate and Jack Grealish. So yeah, I, Jake already covered it. He said he was going short and then he just went off there with the Jack Grealish stats, <laughs> but uh, yeah, or the Vardy stats, sorry. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. Vardy. What do you think, Jack? 
Yeah, I, I know. I, I think Vardy's success, Vardy is a world-class player. And Jack Grealish, we know how much I love Jack Grealish. We're, we're all huge fans of his. And I know this is going to sound biased, but I've seen enough. It, it is biased. James Rodriguez, don't have a lot of stats to back this up, but everybody knows when, when you watch James Rodriguez, just watch him as a player. He's absolutely incredible. At his very, be- at his very best as a midfielder at his very best you'd say he is one of the best players in the world you've seen him perform at the highest level for Bayern on loan you've seen him perform at the highest level for Real Madrid under Carlo Ancelotti and when you watch him like I, I don't have a lot of stats to back this up but you just see the absolute class of this guy he is he is a level above and obviously I am I am biased, but just very, very, very special player. And I cannot believe that he plays for Everton. And I cannot believe that he cost less than Jamie Vardy would have cost Leicester. But no, that's like both. I, I think we can all agree. Like Vardy's a world-class player. Hamas Rodriguez is a world-class player. And Jack Grealish is unfortunate. Uh, do we have any other shouts? Just just list them off for potential uh, top players outside the top six, or what do you guys think of Hamas? No, I think those were probably like my shoe ins for top three, but I would include like Jimenez could be another one. Not, I don't think he's on that tier, he's probably a little bit below, but just thinking of someone else. Yep, I agree. Maybe mm-hmm. if you want to go with like someone like Danny Ings or something, but I think we, we uh, named the top three, I think, with Grealish, Vardy, and uh, Hamas. Mm-hmm. The, the only maybe. Other- may- yeah, I was, I was just going to say maybe an outside shot of those guys just because of the importance to his team. At his, ver- at his very best, Wilf Zaha is absolutely unplayable, but I think there is a level between him and the rest, the other three. Yeah, I was just going to mention him, like if we're just thinking of nominating a bunch of guys and then we'll see about maybe someone like Calvin Phillips over time. Mm-hmm. But those are the only ones that I can mention anyways. Yeah, thank you once again. Thank you for the question, Kneet. Really appreciate it. And, and guys, we say it every week. Just just follow it on Twitter at OTL Soccer Pod. Send in your questions uh, by email at OTL Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Uh, th- that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back next week. Thank you. Thanks, Kneet. Thank you. My turn for a plug this week. Um, we can see the number of listeners every week. So if everyone sends in a question, that will be perfect. All right. Thanks. Bye.